As we open God's word together, let's ask him to bless it to us. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, as we open now your word, we pray that the eyes of our hearts would be enlightened so that we would have the strength together with all the saints to comprehend what is the breadth and the length and the height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that we may be filled with all of your fullness. We ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Please be seated. And please turn with me in God's word to John chapter 6. John chapter 6. We looked at part of this text last week in connection with the Lord's Supper, and we want to do so again by considering a little bit more of this passage. So John chapter 6, I'm going to begin our reading at verse 47, and we'll read through verse 65. So John chapter 6, beginning our reading at verse 47. And let's pay careful attention, for this is God's own word. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever, and the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, Do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life, but there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. Thus far the reading of God's word. May he bless it to us. Uh, Jesus' teaching on John 6 and on his body and blood as true food and true drink is always important in connection with the Lord's Supper. Um, I've had the occasion in the past when people have asked how this passage connects to the Lord's Supper to say, well, John 6 is not about communion, but communion is about John 6. Um, John 6 is not talking about the Lord's Supper particularly, but the Lord's Supper points us to the spiritual truth that's recorded here about Christ as our true food and drink unto life eternal, and that the sacraments are meant to picture that to us um, in a meaningful and important way. 
The sacraments function as an ordinance God has given to help strengthen our faith. And we talked a little bit about last time, it's not an ordinance that will create faith in the unbeliever, but it is an ordinance that will strengthen the faith of those who are already born again and engrafted into the Christian church. And as such, it's a blessing for us to have from our God this this additional means of strengthening our faith, um, that our faith might be confirmed and strengthened, might be spiritually nourished. Uh, That's the helpful way the Belgian Confession talks about the body and blood of Christ, as spiritual nourishment for God's people. It nourishes our souls. And the Belgian Confession is so helpful in saying that just as we have an earthly life that needs an earthly kind of food, so also those who have been born again by the Spirit of God have a spiritual life that needs a spiritual kind of food. Um, And that the body and blood of Christ are that spiritual food we need. And so we're reminded of those wonderful words that the Lord has to say to His people Um, in verses 47 through 58. Whoever believes in me has eternal life, um, and those who eat and drink of him will live forever. Uh, That the nourishment, the food he offers, is not like that physical bread in the wilderness that the men ate, that the people ate and died, um, but this is a true and living bread that if you eat it, you will live forever. And the food that he gives is himself. Uh, That's what's being represented to us in the Lord's Supper. And so we recognize that in these physical elements and in this physical ordinance that we do, these material things that we see, there is a spiritual truth being communicated to God's people, a spiritual nourishment that we are participating in by the grace of God and through the operation of Christ by His Spirit. And so we want to think more about those outward and visible realities and also those inward and invisible realities. Because one of the challenges can be, it's one thing to confess that the Lord's Supper is nourishing and strengthening my faith. It's another thing to understand, how is that happening? Um, And maybe even to say, is it happening even if I don't feel like it's happening? Um, Is there something going on there whether I feel like it or not? Um, Because one of the troubles we have as people is we're fickle people. Uh, And there are times when we participate in the things of the Lord and we feel really encouraged by them and and built up by them. Um, And there are other times we're here and we're we're hearing, we're participating, and it's not that we don't mean to not participate, but things are going on. Um, You know, parents have sometimes said of young children in a few years when they grow up, maybe they'll actually be able to hear a sermon again. Um, Until then, I'm going to be distracted by all the things that are going on. Uh, We can have other distracting things that lead us not to fully understand or to appreciate what's going on. And so sometimes church feels like a very spiritual experience. Sometimes it's unfortunately feels like a run-out-the-clock situation. I'm here, I'm doing my duty, um, but I'm not sure that I'm, I'm feeling it happening for me today. And the wonderful thing that we confess about our God is He's not a God who moves hot and cold like we do. He's not a fickle God who feels for us some days and is eh, about us on others. Uh, We have a God who is always loving us, always serving us, always carrying out His purposes for us. And we want to understand how that happens, particularly in the Lord's Supper, Um, how the Lord Jesus is always doing what He's promised to do. Uh, That that which is outward and visible in reality is being worked inwardly and invisibly in us by Christ by His Spirit. And so that's how we want to think about uh, the Lord's Supper today, uh, this evening, and think a little bit more about it just in those kind of two ways, the outward and the visible reality, and the inward and the invisible reality. 
and try to understand how those things come together uh, for us in the Lord's Supper. Um, what are the purpose of the sacraments? We, we should always come back to what is the purpose for which the Lord has ordained the sacraments? What does He want us to get out of them? Um, they're to picture for us and re- represent to us Christ's saving work on our behalf. Uh, that's what makes Heidelberg Catechism question 66 so helpful. Uh, what are sacraments? And the answer is sacraments are visible, holy signs and seals. They were instituted by God so that by our use of them, he might make us understand more clearly the promise of the gospel and seal that promise. And this is God's gospel promise. He grants us forgiveness of sins and eternal life by grace because of Christ's one sacrifice accomplished on the cross. Um, I love that question of the catechism because it, it summarizes so beautifully beautifully for us what Christ's gospel promise is, right? Because we, we want to say, we want to understand the gospel, we talk a lot about the gospel, but it's important that we understand what the gospel is representing to us. And if that sounds familiar, it's because we've incorporated it into our assurance of pardon every week, so that we're reminded we have forgiveness of sins and eternal life by grace because of Christ's one sacrifice accomplished for us on the cross. We want to put our hope there. To remember that our salvation happened there. That's where our forgiveness of sins was secured on the cross of Jesus Christ. That's where our eternal life was secured on the cross of Jesus Christ. Those things become ours only because of the grace of God to us. And our salvation was completely accomplished by what the Lord Jesus Christ did for us. That's what makes it good news. That's why we have to understand that good news. So that we can constantly apply it to ourselves and be reminded that our salvation stands completely outside of us in the Lord Jesus Christ. And even though I'm a partaker in Christ, and even though I'm called to faith in Christ, I recognize that faith is still only the instrument by which I take hold of the Savior who saved me by His death. And even that faith that that I believe in God and has the instrumental help to give me connected to the saving work of Jesus Christ has only been given to me as a gift by God. So even that, that instrument of my receiving Christ is a gift that God has given me to make sure that that saving work not only was accomplished by Jesus Christ, but is applied to me by the power of His Spirit. We need that reminder of the saving work of Christ and how it comes to sinners like us so that we don't think there's some other source we should look to for our salvation. Because otherwise we will default to our default position as human beings which is the law. And we'll constantly be asking ourselves, how am I doing? Because I understand by nature, do this and you live, don't do this and you die. And what God has to constantly reorient us to is to say, that law was satisfied in your place for Christ. He did all of the good things you should have done and didn't. He died a sacrificial death on the cross to pay for all your sins for all the ways you failed God, so that he might be for you a complete Savior, paying for all your sins and providing all your righteousness so that you can stand holy and, and cleansed before God and stand before the judgment seat without fear. Uh, that's the glories of what God has done. That's what the sacraments are meant to represent to us because there are times we feel conceptually we've got a hold of these things, Right? Like maybe, hopefully, right now you're feeling, okay, I just heard 
a basic gospel presentation, grace, faith, all those things, I've got my mind wrapped around it. And then we go out into the world, we live a few days, and we go, I've lost it. I don't feel confident anymore. I, I think I'm looking back to myself or I'm looking at my faith. I'm losing my orientation. God knows that we are like that. And so God knows that we have to learn in sort of simple ways, that he has to make things simple for us. And one of the things he's done for us to aid our faith is given us this sacrament, which gives us a very easy to understand outward and visible sign. Outward and visible picture of what is inwardly and invisibly happening in us. So that we can be assured by those simple things um, that what God is doing to us. So he gives us a representation of heavenly food with earthly food. So he gives us this earthly and visible bread that, that we have in the Lord's Supper. He gives us this earthly and visible bread and says, This bread represents to you my body. And what happened with the body of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross? It was broken. And so what do I do every Sunday with the bread? Um, This isn't a trick question. It's not meant to be hard. I break it. Right? Because God is representing to us. Remember Jesus' body that was offered on the cross? Imagine that this bread is like that body. That's what he said to us. This is the picture that he's given to us. And that body was broken for you. And so we break it. And then we pick up a cup and say, there's wine in this cup. Now, you can't see it. You have to take my word for it because we have a cup you can't see through. But there is wine in it. You see me drink it. I guarantee you it's there. Um, and we say, okay, here is, here is a cup filled with wine. And how did that wine get in this cup? It's been poured out into the cup. So here is poured out wine. And so what does God give us? He says, my body was broken for you, like this bread broken, like this cup that's been poured out, earthly and visible bread, earthly and visible wine, to represent to us a body broken and blood shed, blood poured out. And what Jesus wants us to understand is that is representing to us his sacrifice on the cross. I gave my body for you, broken for you. I gave my blood for you, shed for you. Um, And then we see those things, and we don't just see them, we partake in them. Then that body that we saw broken is presented to us. The wine that we see poured out is presented to us, and we eat it and we drink it. We appropriate it. And what does food and drink do for us? It nourishes us. Um, the sacrament wouldn't mean as much if I just broke it and held up the cup and then we didn't do anything more. Um, Part of it is the eating and the drinking. The connecting of the elements that represent Christ's body and blood to the recipients for whom he gives it and to whom he gives it. Right, So we become participators in that. That was one of the real perversions of the Roman Catholic Church at the time of the Reformation. They didn't actually let people participate in communion. You could come and receive the wafer, but you were kept from the cup. Uh, they didn't believe in, in, in handing out communion in two kinds. And there were centuries where people were not permitted to drink of the cup. Um, they were only allowed to have communion in one kind. 
and the church asserted that it was their right to allow some people to come and receive it and other people not to, and it still is what they assert as their right. This is what the Roman Catholic Church still says. In order for Holy Communion under both kinds, meaning bread and wine, to be administered to the lay members of Christ's faithful, due consideration should be given to the circumstances as judged first of all by the diocesan bishop. It is to be completely excluded where even a small danger exists of the sacred species being profaned. We'll decide if you can have bread and wine. We'll decide if you can have it, whether you can be trusted with it or not. Um, And this is one of the ways the church stands between God and his people um, in the Roman polity. Uh, That's why the reformers came along and said, you cannot do that with the communion of the Lord Jesus Christ. You have no right to stand between the body and blood of Christ and the people of God. Um, That is not your position. Um, This is one of the clear ways Rome shows itself to be a false church. Uh, Neither does it administer the sacraments as appointed by Christ in his word, but adds to them and takes from them as it seems proper. Christ has given us both to represent his sacrifice to us for the strengthening of our faith, that we might commune with him. He's given us both bread and wine to represent himself. Um, as we confess, to represent to us this spiritual and heavenly bread Christ has instituted, an earthly and visible bread as the sacrament of his body and wine as the sacrament of his blood. And both he gives to us. He gives it to us in such a way that we hold it, we take it, we eat it, we remember and we believe what God has done for us. Um, And that wine and bread nourish us Uh, clearly nourish our bodies um, and are meant to be pictures of how it nourishes our soul. If you remove any part of that, it ceases to operate as God intended. It ceases to be that picture that he wants it to be of the inward and invisible reality that is taking place in believers. Because the outward and visible is sort of clear and undeniable, it's the inward and the invisible that's more difficult for us. What is happening spiritually in this supper is the difficult part for us. And that's why God has given us a physical reality, outward and visible, to picture to us that inward and invisible is so helpful. He did this to testify to us that just as truly as we take and hold the sacraments in our hands and eat and drink it in our mouths, by which our life is then sustained, so truly we receive into our souls for our spiritual life the true body and true blood of Christ, our only Savior. We receive these by faith, which is the hand and mouth of our souls. Now, hopefully a lot of that sounds familiar. It's been incorporated into our communion form, um, and we hear that every week to remind us of these truths. But just as the bread and the the wine represent to us the body and blood of Christ, um, so too the eating and the drinking of it that nourishes us, represents to us how the body and blood of Christ nourish us unto everlasting life. Uh, Faith is the hand and mouth of the soul. That's how we partake of Christ, uh, the true bread and the true blood. That's how we partake in Christ in a real and meaningful way by faith. Faith is how our souls receive Christ. Faith is how we are nourished by Christ. It's the hand and mouth of the soul. Um, And that's such a helpful way of thinking about the Lord's Supper in relation to our soul, because we understand that we have to take it 
with our hands and eat it with our mouths. That's what we have to do with the bread. That's what we have to do with the wine. And that's the same thing we do in our souls. Faith is the way we take hold of Christ and we become participants in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a powerful witness to us. And we need to understand what we are being provided by our Lord Jesus Christ so that we fully understand the significance of what happens here because it is a mystery. In the one sense, it's meant to be very simple, but it's a very simple picture of something that's very profound. That Christ is working in us what He's promised to work in us by His sacrifice on the cross. It's a profound statement that the Belgian Confession makes when it says, Now it is certain that Jesus did not prescribe His sacraments for us in vain. Right? God has instituted only two sacraments. And because there's only two, that makes them both very precious. And it would be a, a shocking blasphemy to say, Jesus doesn't really do anything in these things. They don't really accomplish the point for which God has established them. No, far from, the, far from it, right? God doesn't establish these things in vain. Jesus doesn't give us these things with no purpose. Um, why are they given to us? Since he works in us, all he represents by these holy signs. Although the manner in which he does it goes beyond our understanding and is incomprehensible to us, just as the operation of God's Spirit is hidden and incomprehensible. Now, what does that mean? Um, What what do we understand when we make that confession? Um, We know that these things have not been prescribed in vain. But we need to remind and cheer our souls with the thought that Jesus works in these things what he's promised to do by them. That's why we don't celebrate baptism in vain. We don't celebrate the Lord's Supper in vain. Why? Because Jesus promises to do in those sacraments what he's promised to do. He's working. And he doesn't fail to do what he's promised. He works those things, and He works those things regardless of how we feel about them. Um, And and that's the thing that we need to struggle with, with the mystery of this supper, to know that Jesus is doing something even when we may not feel like He's doing something. Um, Because we are people who like tangible proofs. I'd like to feel that Jesus is doing something, and then I would know that He's doing something. Um, What am I supposed to do, just take His word for it? Well, yeah, the Bible says take his word for it. He does what he promises. He's never not done something he's promised to do. Um, And we need to be reminded that Jesus has promised to do something. And and that's something of the wonder of the sacraments because they they take things that are true and obvious and apply them to our hearts. This is important because we know when our earthly bodies need food. Right? Your stomachs begin to growl. Maybe you feel you know, lightheaded or you feel that experience of low blood sugar. Or some of us get hangry right? when we haven't had something to eat. We know that it's time to eat. Our bodies tell us that. And once we've eaten, our bodies also tell us, okay, now we're satisfied. Um, we, we feel fed. Um, it's not quite the same with spiritual nourishment, is it? Um, you don't have a, your soul doesn't have a stomach that growls to tell you it's hungry. Um, And sometimes it's hard to know when your soul has been satisfied with the feeding of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And so what the sacraments are meant to do is to promise us that God is working even when the manner of His working goes beyond our comprehension and is hidden from us. To trust that the Lord Jesus Christ is working. It's interesting, it says, the operations of the Holy Spirit are often going on in ways that are hidden and incomprehensible to us. That was how Jesus had described the work of the Holy Spirit in John 3. It's like the wind. The wind blows where it will. You see what it does, but you don't see it. Um, You know, if, if, boys and girls, if I ask you, is it windy outside, you would go look and look for the trees and look for evidences that the wind is blowing. But if I said, now go out and see the wind and tell me you saw it, we would say, well, I I couldn't see the wind, but I could see the trees blowing, so I know the wind was out there. Uh, It's sort of like that with the Spirit. We can sometimes see His effects, but we can't see Him working. And the Lord knows that when it comes to the Lord's Supper, we, we do this simple and profound thing together, and we say we are being nourished unto everlasting life. We are being nourished in our souls by the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. Right? It's, an, it's an awesome thing to come to the table of the Lord and to recognize that all of the earthly things we are doing have a spiritual significance. Um, it, it's wonderful for me as a minister to know I'm not trying to nourish your souls unto everlasting life at the Lord's table. All we're doing is participating in a picture of what Jesus is doing in a spiritual way serving us at his table. Um, and the and communion is meant to communicate that, that profound, mysterious, incomprehensible, hidden spiritual work in ways that can become certain and beyond all doubt to us, whether we feel it or not. Because it's certain that Jesus will do what he promised. That Jesus, if he promised that he would feed us with his body and blood, true food and drink unto life eternal, he will surely do it. Because he who promised is faithful. We can be certain that he did not prescribe these things for us in vain. We can be certain that they will be effective because he will make them effective. He will see to it that his people are nourished at the table when he works. And why he gives us this physical thing to represent something spiritual is so that we can see this simple picture and he can say it should be just as simple in your mind to connect these two things. That what I am doing for you is true and what I'm doing for you is reliable. Um, That's why it's sad that in so many places the, the sacraments have been reduced to mere memorials. And I come to remember what God has done. That that's, that's principally how they function. Because then it's pr- primarily about what I'm saying. Um, I'm saying that I come to the table because I believe. And it becomes more of a memorial of what God has done. It's almost more about my testimony to God than about God's testimony to me. And while there is certainly an element of memorial and personal testimony in the sacrament, do this in remembrance of me. The primary thing that's happening in the sacraments is not what we're saying to God or what we're doing for God, but what God is saying to us and what God is doing for us. They are Christ's testimony to his people. The principal purpose of the sacrament is not for us to bear witness to God, but for God to bear witness to us. That what I've promised I will surely do for you. That what Christ is bringing something to you 
in the sacrament and saying something to you in the sacrament. And what is it that God comes in, says to us by his son in the ministry of that sacrament? It's the Lord Jesus Christ saying, you belong to me. And because of my sacrifice on the cross, God will forever be your gracious God and Father. And will provide you all you need for body and soul. Everything you need, your Father will supply you. And Christ comes and says, and I want you to be sure of that, because the most precious thing the Father had was His Son. His only Son, whom He loved. And He did not withhold Him, but sent Him into the world to die for sinners. And that Son did not, at the right hand of His Father, count equality with the Father, a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself of his glory and took on the form of a servant and humbled himself to death, even death on the cross. He suffered his body to be broken. He took on a body, which was a huge humiliation for the Son of God, but he took on that body so that body could be broken and so that it could be broken for you. He took on a body where blood ran through his veins so that that blood could be poured out for you. So that you could be assured that he has sacrificed for you. That he has given the sacrifice on the cross that atones for your sins. My body was broken for you and my blood was shed for you on the cross for a complete remission of all of your sins. Jesus is making that testimony to us. And I hope we never go through these things so often that that becomes a common thing to us. To hear those words, to hear that testimony from the Son of God to His people. Uh, We should be moved by them. A number of years ago, my dad was here baptizing my nephew. Um, You might remember it because he fell down while he was here. Uh, But he also uh, got choked up a couple times in the course of the baptism, trying to get through the form and read through it. Um, And one of the points he got really choked up during during the baptism was the prayer that follows the baptism. Because of the hope it holds for children of the covenant who, that we would hope they grow up in the faith and we're praying for them, that they would profess faith in God. But at the end of that prayer, we ask that this child being comforted by thee may leave this life which is nothing but a constant death and at the last day may appear without terror before the judgment seat of Christ thy son. Right, That's the hope we have. Because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, we can stand before the judgment seat of God without terror on the last day. What a great hope that is. To know that we have nothing to fear. We've been reconciled to the God of heaven. Um, Do you ever fear that judgment? Do you ever worry that it will not be well with your soul on that day? That's why we need to listen to what Jesus says to us in the supper. Watch what God pictures to us in the supper to make very simple and profound the reality of our salvation. Because God comes to us and says, the promise I'm making to you is just as real as the things you're seeing and doing before your eyes. It's just as real. It's just as sure. Right? Imagine we paused at every point in the Lord's Supper to ask these profound questions. So that when you've taken the bread and wine, 
I asked you, do you have the bread and wine in your hand? Are you sure? And you could look down and say, yeah, I'm sure. I've got it right here. Okay, now eat it. Take it, eat it, drink, remember, believe. And once we were done, and I said, did you eat the bread? Yes or no? Well, yeah. I mean, it would be almost to the point you'd be wondering if I had some trick up my sleeve. But the, what's, the, what's the actual question he's after? No, I'm just, did you eat the bread? Yeah. Did you drink the wine? Yeah. Now, when we eat food, will it nourish our bodies? Do our bodies know what to do with food? We can say, yeah, my, my body knows what to do with that food. It will turn it into whatever the body does with it. Science. Um, Whatever it does, it'll, it does, yeah, I'll, I'll be nourished by it. Okay. So you're sure about those things. Yes. The Lord wants to come to us and say, you can be just as sure that my body was broken for you and my blood was shed for you. And you can be just as sure that if you believe in me, you have been nourished by that food and drink unto life eternal. Just as you have no reason to doubt the things you just did externally, you have no reason to doubt what I've done in your soul. And that's true whether we feel like something's been done in our soul or not. Because the Lord Jesus comes to us and says, I don't fail to do what I promised. If I promise to nourish your soul to everlasting life, I will surely do it. If I tell you my body was broken for you on the cross, I mean it. If I tell you my blood was shed for you on the cross, I mean it. If I tell you you're to do this until I come again to bring you to glory, know that I will come again and bring you to glory. We do this for a temporary time until faith becomes sight and hope becomes reality and love becomes eternal in glory. Um, but these things are just as sure. We can have the same certainty that what we're doing physically has happened spiritually to us because God has promised. Jesus has promised to do it. Jesus says to us, by grace through faith, you now have complete remission of sins, full forgiveness of all your sins in my name. And I'm assuring you that when you stand at the judgment seat and in the, at, at the last tribunal before the great white throne, you will have to fear no judgment because all the judgment you deserved was poured out on me at my cross. And there is no account left to be settled between you and my God. My Father is satisfied by my death. Your sins are forgiven you. You are not under the condemnation of God. When you stand before that throne, you will hear those wonderful words, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. Why? Because of the cross. Because of what Jesus has accomplished. That's what he's doing for us every time we come to the Lord's Supper. It doesn't come to us because of our strong faith or because of our, our, our great perfect lives that we live in his service. Why does it come to us? It comes to us because he who promised is faithful. Because he does it. He did it at his cross. He's doing it at us by his spirit. Um, that's what the glory of the Lord's Supper is. It's just a further confirmation, another opportunity for Jesus to testify to us the truth of the gospel.
to assure us that these things are true for us, his people. John Calvin gave a great summary of this. He said, after God has once received us into his family, numbering us with his children, in order to fulfill the part of a most excellent father caring for his children, he also undertakes to sustain and nourish us as long as we live. And not content with this, he has been pleased to give us a pledge as a further assurance of his never-ceasing generosity. For this purpose, therefore, by the hand of his only begotten Son, he has favored his church with another sacrament, a spiritual banquet, in which Christ testifies himself to be the bread of life, to feed our souls for a true and blessed immortality. You see why this is much more when we come to the Lord's table of us just saying, I believe. It's Jesus saying, listen, while I testify to you the certainty of your salvation, the certainty of the remission of your sins, the certainty of your fellowship with me and with one another. It's only when we listen to the testimony of Jesus that we can truly find peace. Because he says to his people, in John 14, 27, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. And as we read in our passage in verse 57, as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. That's Jesus' testimony to us. And he has not instituted this sacrament in vain. When he says he will nourish our souls, he will nourish our souls. Um, because he who has promised is faithful. And he will surely do it. Amen. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we are so thankful for the faithfulness of our Lord Jesus Christ and for the sacrament that he has instituted that we might be further assured of the truth of what he's done in our soul. You know, even though he works in a manner that is hidden and incomprehensible to us, we're thankful that he will surely do what he's promised. And although we might not understand how he's doing it in our souls, we understand that he's doing it in our souls. That what he has promised to do, he has done, and these things are given to us to remind us of his sacrifice on the cross that has won us the complete remission of all of our sins. Help us, Lord, never to come to the table without listening to the Lord Jesus Christ and believing in the testimony he makes to us that our faith might be strengthened and our comfort might be encouraged to remember what our Lord has done for us by his cross. So help us all to believe in Jesus Christ and have life in his name, for we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as a song of response together, let's take up our psalters and turn to number 349, O Jesus, we adore thee, and we'll stand and sing together all the verses of number 349.
Dearly loved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, lift up your hearts to the Lord now and receive his blessing. And may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good, that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen.